We are in week two of a uh, 31 week, but we did an intro week, uh, so really a 32 week series called The Story. And um, we, we did la- uh, week one last week was creation and uh, the fall of man, and we, we talked through that. And then uh, now we're about to move into week two. So who got the book and who read chapter two this week? All right. A lot of the, the no's are in the back. So um, ushers, if you would uh, get them out of here. Um, no, um, if you have not gotten a copy of the story, we have it for $5. You can get it when you leave today. Um, we're doing this series because... Um, uh, the, the rising stats of illiteracy among Christians are, it, it's staggering, it's embarrassing. Um, we should know the word. We should know the word uh, better than anyone else. And uh, God has given us this message. He's given us this story. And we want to help you deepen your walk with him. And so I encourage you when you leave this morning, if you haven't gotten the book, uh, get it. Uh, there are things on our website, uh, thegeneration.me, the story link that has devotions and recaps and things that can help you as a family walk through it uh, together or as an individual. And so I uh, encourage you uh, to do that. But when chapter two uh, starts, so chapter one ends and, and we see that the earth is repopulated, the flood has is, is wiped out everyone except Noah and his family. And uh, when chapter one ends and chapter two begins, there's uh, th- this new sense of, of purpose and everybody's rebuilding and, and, and families are growing and business is beginning to, to boom again and, and God has repopulated the earth. And, and as before, he says evil still existed. No- nothing changed with the hearts of man. Today, the hearts of man are still evil, but God said, I'll no longer destroy them. I will continue to work and, and strive for them uh, and fight for them. And so when chapter two opens, God's uh, on a pursuit to start a new nation. And his pursuit leads him to a guy by the name of, uh, we know him as Abraham, but when he's first introduced in Genesis chapter 12, his name is actually Abram. His, his name later would be changed uh, to, Abra- to Abraham. And so Abraham was just a, an ordinary uh, run-of-the-mill guy. He was living a, a predictable life, and, and he had a, a, made a good living. He had a family. He had possessions. He had wealth. He had security. He was 75 years old. So, so in his mind, you know, I'm, I'm on the, the, the home stretch. I'm not going to be alive much longer. And there's no reason to think that anything about my life is going to change. Everything is, is predictable. Everything is, is ordinary. And I'm just going to continue to live this life. And then at the age of 75, God shows up. And God, was his, his name is actually Yahweh. Yahweh shows up and says, Abraham, I want you to, to make a great nation of you, and I want you to follow me. And God calls Abraham to step out in faith and, and to, to live a life of faith, to, to, to live for the rest of his life as a sojourner and as a wanderer. And he calls him to, to live by faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 says that his life was characterized by his life of faith, by the decisions and the choices that he made to live a life of, of faith, of of holy and fully trusting in God without reservation and being willing to say, God, I release all control. I release the, the outcome to you. I trust you completely. And that's the, the way the life of Abraham was characterized. And so faith this morning for us is, is fully trusting without reservation. Anytime you talk about faith in a, a church setting, a lot of you have heard conversations about faith. And the question comes back to, do we really trust him, right? Is, is, our, is our faith completely placed in him with no reservations that it doesn't matter what the outcome or, or, uh, or, or what he chooses to allow to come into our lives. We trust him and we believe him. And that was the life of Abraham. And when we're introduced to him in Genesis chapter 12, it says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And he says, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. 
I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. God says, I want you to follow me. And I want to make of you a great nation. Well, the problem Abraham had is he didn't have a son. It was impossible for him to ever be a great nation when he didn't have a son. And he was too old to expect that, that now at this later season of life that, that someone like God was going to show up and be able to give it to him. And so God says, I want you to make you great, but in order for me to make you great, you've got to live a life of faith and you've got to step out and you've got to move and you've got to leave everything that you know. You've got to leave what you know in pursuit of what you don't know. You've got to sacrifice a life of safety for one of surrender. And he says, Abraham, I want you to follow me. And, and if you follow me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, to bless you. And I was thinking about that uh, this week as I, was, as I was preparing and just picturing in my house what that conversation would look like if I went home and told my wife, hey, babe, I was talking to God today. The conversation would probably stop there. Okay, enough. Like, stop. Um, and uh, he wants us to move. And her response would probably be, okay, why? Well, he said he wants to make us a great nation. And he's going to give us a son, right? And she's thinking, okay, is this your way of telling me we're not having enough sex, right? Like, you're, you're 75 years old. This is not... This is not happening. Like, like, you know, where's Ashton Kutcher? Am I being punked? Like, there's no way that this is real. And so she plays along a little bit more and says, uh, okay, when are we leaving? And he's like, well, actually, we're leaving right away. Start packing, call the movers, uh, tell your parents. Actually, wait, I'll, t I'll tell your parents. We're leaving, and we're never seeing them again. I'll be, I'll be all over that. And so then she says, okay, now where are we going? Right, ladies, how would this go in your house, Right. We're moving because God told us to move. And where are we going and, and when? And so she says, where are we going? And Abraham's like, well, he didn't say. He just said to start, he just said to pack up and start moving west, right? Ladies, how many of you are going to be all over that, be right on board with that? There's just no way. And, and a lot of times I think we dehumanize characters in scripture because we see their story looking back. But there's no question in my mind that that conversation was not Sarah holy and fully getting on board. And, and, and I'm certain Abraham was not without his share of doubts. And so he says, we're, we're moving, we're, we're going west. And Sarah probably said at that point, something like, if you stop talking right now, we can just pretend this conversation never even happened, right? You tell God to come and talk to me and then we'll see what the plan is. And, and so uh, Genesis 12, four says they went. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So Abraham is 75 years old. He's an ordinary guy living a predictable life. And God says, I want you to step out in faith. And if you do, I will use you to do extraordinary things, to magnify and glorify my name. And, you know, as I, as I was reading the story of Abraham this week and even the rest of chapter 2, I'm just constantly called back to the idea that just like it happened for Abraham and Sarah. God is still calling ordinary people living predictable lives who are willing to step out in faith to do extraordinary things. And I think what happens for most of us is we want the extraordinary things. We want the stories, right? Like, like we, we, want, we want to be able to tell about how God provided for us and did something extraordinary and he used us in a, in a big and a powerful way to, to magnify his name. We want the stories. We want to be a part of, the, we want to be a part of that part of the mission. And here we are over here living ordinary, predictable lives and unwilling to step out in faith 
And what we fail to realize is that our unwillingness to step out in faith is what keeps God from using us to do extraordinary things, to magnify and to glorify his name. And so Abraham laughed. He left everything. And his faith walk didn't stop there. In fact, it just begins over the next 25 years and beyond. God was constantly coming back to him and tapping him on the shoulder and saying, I want to see how strong that faith is one more time. Let's see how much you've learned. Let's see how much you've grown. Let's see how much you really trust in me. And just like Abraham, our lives are, 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 being, are being tested. Our faith is being tested. God is putting us in situations and settings to see how much we really trust in him. Because you see, for most of us, it's easy to trust when life is predictable, right? It's, it's easy to trust God when I have a job. But what happens tomorrow when you lose your job? What, here's, here's what happens. Difficulty exposes what we really trust in, right? When everything's good, yeah, I trust you, God. You're, you're, you're the King of kings, you're the Lord of lords. You're on the throne of life. You are, you, you're providing for me and, and everything's good. And then God taps you on the shoulder and says, I just want to see how much you really trust. I'm going to take this away from you. And it exposes what we trust in. We really trust money, but we say we trust God. But then when, when our money goes away, all of a sudden we find out that, you know what? I only trust God when I have enough money to control the situation. I trust God as long as all of the relationships in my life are right. I trust God when, when, when I'm in control and when I can predict the outcome. And then when our ability to control, our ability to predict is taken away from us and our faith is tested, most of us crumble and most of us buckle. And Abraham walked and, and he lived and he lived this life that was characterized by faith. God will allow things to come into our lives to reveal to us whether or not we really trust in him. He will call us to do things that will reveal whether or not we're really willing to trust him and believe that, that he is the voice that is calling us to say yes. And one thing you'll discover in life as you walk and live a, a, a life of faith is that people will say things to you like there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. And that line is, is based on people who live by sight because everything when you live by sight, every step of faith when you live by sight is foolishness. There wasn't one friend in Abraham's life that was like, you go get it for Jesus. You know, yeah, move. Like, be a, they camped, right? They, the rest of his life, he camped. I went camping Friday night, and I wanted to kill myself. It was, I was miserable. Six hours in a tent felt like an eternity. I understand what Abraham was going through. And he said, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the life of safety and security and provision to go pursue nothing. A pastor one time told me I was, I was moving to, to Toronto where I didn't know a soul. He's like, man, God never calls you from something to nothing. And I thought, man, that sounds good, but that couldn't be dumber. God always calls you from something to nothing because it's when we get out into nothing that we realize that he's there. And it's when he calls us to do something that's beyond us, when we're willing to say yes, that's when we depend on him the most, right? It's easy to depend on him when I can control it, when I have the ability to do it. But when he's calling me to do something that takes me out of my comfort zone, that's when the miracles begin to happen. God may be calling you to do something. I'm certain God is calling you to do something. And I know what's happening in some of your hearts right now. There's knots in your stomach. You're like, man, I don't want to talk about this because it's forcing me to confront what he's calling me to do, but something else is keeping me from saying yes. My trust in something besides God 
to provide for me or to guide me is keeping me from saying yes to what he's calling me to do. And Abraham experienced that over and over again. Maybe God's calling you. If you've come to Generation for any length of time, you've heard us talk about living missional lives and, and, and leading through missional communities. God may be calling you to start a missional community in your neighborhood, at your work, students at your school. And you're saying, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. And God says, that's the beauty of it. I'm not looking for people who think they have a significant amount to contribute to the kingdom. I'm looking for people who realize that without me, they're nothing. Amen. And he's looking for you to say yes, to say, I'm going to step out in faith. It's not faith when the road is visible. It's not faith when the journey's predictable. It's faith when you have to let go and trust God completely and wholly without reservation. And that was Abraham's life, but Abraham's life wasn't without its moments. The times where he would, would, would drift back into what I call living by sight. He walked by faith, but there were moments where he lived by sight. Living by sight is our default. When things get crazy, we want to take control back. It's like teaching your, I remember my dad taught me how to drive and and, and he was cool in the passenger seat until things got crazy. And then all of a sudden he's up in the driver's seat again, right? And that's us. Like, like, like we think we know better than God, right? God, I, I, I can drive this better than you. I'm okay to drive when we're in a parking lot and there's no cars around, but let's get out on the road. And then all of a sudden I'm back in the driver's seat because I don't trust you enough to, to, to handle the outcome, to control the outcome. We live in the realm when we live by sight, where we live and make decisions based on what makes sense, what we can see, what's logical. We do it all the time with our money. God says to, to, to tithe. And we say, well, I'll tithe if the checkbook says I can afford to do it. And God says, no, I want you to trust me. I don't want you to trust your, your ability to provide. I don't, I don't want you to trust your, your finances. I want you to trust me. We do it in all other areas of life as well. And so Abraham defaulted to sight living. And Genesis chapter 16. So 10 years has gone by. I don't know about you guys, but anytime I've, I've stepped out in, in faith and tried to live a life of faith, my, my, the process for me is I'm going to take step one and then I expect everything to, to be clear, right? I'll, I'll jump, but I better hit land really, really fast, right? No free fall. I'm going to step and then you better be there to show me something. And so Abraham is 75. He's not getting any younger. So he follows, he follows God. It's like, okay, one month goes by. Two months go by, a year goes by. She should certainly be pregnant by now, right? Like, I, I'm 76 now. I'm not Hugh Hefner, right? This is, this is not going well. Ten, listen, 10 years go by. For all accounts, I'm not going to lie. If I'm Abraham, I begin to think God needs my help, right? Ten, I'm, 80, I'm 85 years old now. Sir, there's, a, there's a step that's missing, and the step that's missing and the life of faith is me manipulating and controlling the outcome. So in Genesis 16, his wife Sarah shows up and she says, Now Sarah, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And remember, he followed God because he believed the promise. I'll make you a great nation. And in order to have a great nation, I've got to have a son. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Again, ladies, is this conversation ever going to happen in your house? <laughs> but Abram agreed. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Sure, baby, anything for you. <laughs> so Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years. 
Sarah, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and guess what happened? She conceived. And he thought he could help God fulfill the promise. He thought God needed his help to fulfill the promise. Here's the thing. We, we are limited by time and space. God is not. So a lot of times as we're, as we're navigating through life, trying to live by faith, we expect God to, to operate on a timeline, right? God, this is the timeline that makes sense and is logical. And God says, the only problem is time is, time is of no essence to me. You're, you're, we, we live in a timeline with this limited perspective. And Abraham made, made a decision that was short-sighted with a limited perspective. God said, I'm not short-sighted. I have no limit to the perspective. I see things thousands of years before I see things thousands of years later, and I can be in any of those spots anytime I want to. I'm not limited by time, and I'm certainly not limited by your finite timeline either. And so Abraham makes a decision, and it led to the birth of his son Ishmael, but this was not the son God had promised. And you know, today, thousands of years later, there is tension and unrest in the Middle East between the descendants of Isaac, the son that God promised to Abraham, and the descendants of Ishmael, the son that Abraham tried to help God by having. Thousands of years later, the Middle East is still reaping the consequences of a short-sighted decision made living by faith. And listen, I, I've been there. When we were in, uh, anytime God calls me to do something, it always has to do uh, with money. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, when, when, when things get crazy, I want to trust in my ability to provide. And so we, we moved to Toronto 10 years ago, and about Two years in, we lost the vast majority of our funding, over, uh, over 70, maybe as much as 80% of our funding, almost overnight. Within 30 days, it was gone. We couldn't pay our rent. We couldn't buy groceries. We couldn't do anything. And so I said, well, clearly, we got to move. So I started sending out resumes, had a couple of, uh, uh, of interviews. Um, one thing I've discovered about myself, this is a side note, I don't think I'd ever want to pastor a church that I didn't start. <laughs> I'm all about creating my own problems, not inheriting someone's else. I do a great job creating my own. Um, I don't need someone else's on top of that. So uh, fortunately, those uh, doors never opened. Eventually, I closed uh, some of them. But So I started sending out resumes, started doing some research on uh, places to move. There weren't a lot of churches in Hawaii looking for pastors, um, but I was certainly praying. Um, and so one day, my pastor called. He knew we were going through a tough time, and he said, I just want to check on you. And so we talked, and I told him what was going on, and, and he said, so what's your plan? And I said, well, we're leaving. And he said, okay. He said, tell me about when God called you there. I just want to hear that story again. And so I told him about it and how definitively I knew I heard God's voice. I was responding to God's voice. And, and he said, so tell me now, obviously going through this, you, you've heard from God again, and, and I'm, obviously he's telling you. Uh, to leave. He's releasing you from there. He's calling you to something else. And it's like, no, actually, I, I haven't heard that. And he said, well, you, then you can't leave. I said, well, no, you, don't, you, you didn't hear me. Right? <laughs> we don't have any money, right? It takes money to live. We don't have money. And he said, I don't care. He said, if you want to be obedient, you got to stay. We hung up the phone and I immediately was like, I knew I should have sent that to voicemail. Um, like bad, bad advice. Uh, my mom, I, one of the churches I looked at was near my mom. So she's like, it's clearly God's voice. <laughs> um, 
And so I did something that I hadn't done up to that point, and I actually prayed. See, I was so mad about what God allowed that I didn't want to talk to God. I'm, God, I, you, you, you put us here. I'll be the one to fix it and get us out. So I prayed about it, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and the Holy Spirit told me a couple of things. Number one, he said, I've never asked you to understand me. I've only asked you to trust me. Amen. See, when you're going through stuff, we, we, we think trust and faith is understanding. It's not. Faith is trusting. I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. But I'll lean on you. I'll rely on you. I also learned that trust is, is clinging to God. And when we cling to God, what I realized is when I cling to God with both hands, I don't have a free hand left to cling to anything else. And God allowed that to come into my life to reveal some things to me. And here's what I know now, eight years later, that with short-sighted and limited perspective, I didn't know. If I had left eight years ago, I almost certainly would not be here today. And I would have never seen what God had prepared for me if I just trust him, if I just believe in him. Here's the thing, when, we're, when, you're go, when you're where Abraham's at, it's hard to see very far in front of you. It's hard to get the perspective that God is at work and God is in control. And so he walked by sight. And then we see, eight, we see 13 years pass after that. So God says, yeah, in 10 years it revealed that you don't trust me. I'm going to spend the next 13 years figuring out and for you to figure out if you actually do trust me. 13 years later, God shows up again, and it says when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. So now from the time he started following God till this moment, it's been almost 25 years. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant uh, between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. I'm certain by now he's just broken. He's reached a point where, where I think Abram said yes to God because of the promise God made to him. The man that falls face down before God 25 years later just, just follows him because of who he is, not because of what he can do. And he says, God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. The word Abram meant noble father. God says that name's not going to get it done anymore. Your name will be Abraham, which means father of many. For I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of, of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. God says the whole land of Canaan, you've been journeying for the last 25 years. Everywhere you've stepped foot, one day this land will belong to you and to your descendants. And it goes on and talks about how he changed Sarah's name. Sarah, Sarah was Sarai, which meant princess, and God's like, she's 90. She's way too old to be called princess. Um, we're going to call her Sarah which means mother of many. God prophetically, before they even had Isaac, said, your names don't fit anymore because what I'm going to do to you is absolutely going to blow your minds. And God gives them a son in Genesis chapter 21, 
uh, named Isaac. Uh, Isaac meant laughter because when Abram told Sarah what God had said, she laughed and God said, oh yeah, for the rest of your life, every time you say his name, you're going to be reminded you laughed at me when I knew what I was doing and I knew what I had prepared for you. And so several years go by and things go smoothly, life settles in. Um, here's another thing that you'll discover about living a life of faith is we want to hang our hats on a step of faith we made 10 years ago. God's like, I'm not concerned about that anymore. I want to see what you'll do now, right? What you did 10 years ago is cool, but stop telling that story. It's time to write a new one. How, how much will you step out in faith and trust me now? And so he shows up in Genesis chapter 22. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Sometimes I think Abraham probably got tired of God showing up because it typically was not good. <laughs> then God said, take your son, your only son, and I want you to remember that, your only son, remember that for later, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Let that sink in for a minute. How devastating would that have been for Abraham? I waited, I trusted, I believed. I followed, I gave up everything. And you gave me a son and now you want to take him back from me? It was not uncommon for people to sacrifice their children as offerings to the gods. And it, and it occurred to me this week as I was reading it that it is very likely that at some point in this journey and in this story that Abraham thought, man, it turns out you're, you're just like every other god. You're just like Baal, Ashtaroth, Molech, who, who call for sacrifices of children. I thought you were different. I thought you were special. But Abraham learned to act in spite of his fear, to believe in what didn't make sense, to walk when he couldn't see the way. So early the next morning, they pack up and they head off to, to Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is significant too because God could have called for him to sacrifice Isaac anywhere. But he said, I want you to go to this specific mountain. Three days into the journey, you'll, you'll notice in the story, Sarah wasn't with him. And that was probably a good move. <laughs> I don't know that Sarah would have been on board. Um, so three days into the journey, Abraham, Isaac, and the wood for the altar separate, and they leave the servants behind. And as they're walking up the, the mountain, Isaac asks the obvious question, where is the animal to sacrifice? And Abraham, I'm sure, uh, through tears, said God will provide. I don't know what he's going to do, but in the last... 40 years of my life, I've learned that I can trust him no matter what. And then it says, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, Isaac. This was a test. How much do you trust me? God was never going to ask him to kill his son. In fact, later when God establishes his covenant with the descendants of Abraham, he says specifically to them, I've never asked you to offer your children as sacrifices to me. I would never ask you to do such a thing. God was never going to ask Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. He just wanted to know if there was anything in Abraham's life that he was withholding from God. Anything in his life that he said, I'll trust you as long as you don't ask me to do this, as long as you don't ask me to, to go there. 
And he looks up and he sees a ram caught by the horn, takes the animal and offers it as a sacrifice to God. And they name the place there that God will provide. And so there's a purpose in the test. And I want you to understand this morning that there are times where God is going to test your and my faith. Do we really trust him? Do we really trust him when things are beyond our control? Do we really trust him that, that we're living ordinary and predictable lives, but that we're willing to step out in faith in order for him to accomplish something extraordinary through us? And so Abraham is tested and God says, I just want to see, I want you to, to reveal to you whether or not you really trust me without reservation. And it not only, the purpose in it was not only a test, but the purpose in it was also a foreshadowing. I said, I wanted you to remember that phrase, your only son. This is a picture of this exact same mountain, Mount Moriah, where 2,000 years later, another father would stand over his son. Only this time there would be no one to spare him. And God would pour out his wrath for the sins of the world on his own son and allow his son to be crucified and to die. You see, we say things when we're going through difficult times and our faith is tested. God, you don't understand what you're asking of me. And God in this story says, Abraham, I understand what I'm asking you to do. But the difference between you and me is I'll, as I will spare your son. No one will be able to spare mine. And Mount Moriah, 2,000 years later, is where Jesus hung on a cross to die for the sins of all of humanity. And Abraham had a foreshadowing picture and image of how God would save and redeem the world, how God would, would put into action the gospel. And so they return home, and a few years later, Isaac, his son, is married. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And as you read through the rest of, of chapter two, and we're not going to cover it, we don't have time, um, unless you guys want to stay till noon. Um, but you'll see stories of ordinary people living predictable lives. And God says, I want to use you to do something awesome, to do something extraordinary. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to think about that thought with me just for a minute. God uses ordinary people living predictable lives who are willing to step out in faith to accomplish extraordinary things. Where is God testing your faith? What is God allowing? That's rattling you. What is God calling you to that you don't think you're capable of? Our mission at Generation is we want to help you say yes to Jesus. We want to help you figure out what he's saying and we want to help you say yes. He's always going to call you to do something. You see, whoever told us that following Jesus was easy didn't know what they were talking about. Following Jesus is the greatest thing you'll ever do, but it's also one of the most difficult things you'll ever do. He may be calling you to start something. He may be calling some of you to go, to go and and quit your job and sell everything you have and move to, to another country to serve him. There's a family that we knew uh, that, that quit very good, well-paying jobs and moved to Africa for two years to teach street children in Africa how to play soccer. It seemed crazy. 
but they knew God called them and they went. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been called to do something, to step out of your comfort zone, you're just not listening. He's always going to call us out of the out of safety to surrender. Whatever it is that he's calling you to do this morning, I want to encourage you to say yes. When you know it's his voice, respond and say yes. I can't predict the outcome. I can't control the next step. I just know that he's calling me and I'm going to say yes. And here this morning, I'm certain there are some of you, God's calling you to say yes to Jesus for the first time. The Holy Spirit is speaking in your heart. And you know that, that, that you want to believe. You want to believe in a, a Jesus that died on the cross for your sin so that, so that you could be reconciled to God. And this morning, if you're here and you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that the wages of our sin, the payment for our sin is death, eternal separation from God. But because of what Jesus did, we are given the free gift of eternal life. And that if we just believe it in our heart and confess it with our mouths, that we will be saved and reconciled with God. If you'd like to begin that journey, I encourage you to pray a prayer something like this. God, in my heart, I know that you're real. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I confess my sins to you. I repent. I promise to give my life to you, to live the rest of my life for you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, he was listening. Heaven rejoices. And we say welcome to the family of God. And followers, what is he calling you to say yes to? Some of what he's calling us to say yes to is simple and obvious and it's, 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 it's obedience. Some of you have never been baptized. You've given your life to Jesus and, and you, you have not been baptized since you gave your life to Jesus and you're just going, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too old to do that. I've been hanging around church people too long. God is calling you to simply say yes in obedience. Maybe he's calling you to say yes to something else some of you he's just calling you to say yes to trust him with what he's allowing in your life right now father this morning we 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 say thank you for your sacrifice i say thank you for calling us to to live by faith it's not easy but it's so rewarding and it's so fulfilling pray that everyone in here would hear your voice and say yes to whatever it is that you're calling them to. Jesus, we pray in your